Amen. All right, well, we're there in Proverbs chapter number uh, 11, and I'd like you to just look down at one, one verse this morning. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, so I need you to be ready to move quickly. But I'd like you to look down at verse number 30, Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse number 30. The Bible says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. I want you to notice this phrase, and he that winneth souls is wise. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. If you come to our church for any length of time, you're going to hear, hear us say a lot and use this term a lot about soul winning. We have soul winning going on every week around here. Several times during the week, we have soul winning pushes uh, be, before big days, and we preach about soul winning, we talk about soul winning. And I want you to notice that that term is a scriptural term that we get from the book of Proverbs, because the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. And it's talking about winning someone to Christ, going to someone who is not saved, who is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and persuading them or teaching them and compelling them to the point where they would choose to be saved, where they would choose to ask uh, for salvation to, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about soul winning. In this series, we've been uh, talking about how to reach our community for Christ. And we're talking about going out in the community and going soul winning and reaching people and loving people and bringing them into church and, and discipling them and helping them grow. And we'll focus more on that next week. Like I said in, during the introductions, uh, last week's sermon was meant to be more of a motivational, you know, why we must go out, why we must confront this culture with the gospel of Christ. This week, I want to talk about principles for effective soul winning. I want to give you tips in regards to being a good soul winner and how to compassionately confront people with the gospel. And here's the truth, and if this is you, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but it's the honest truth. Most Christians have never led another person to the saving knowledge of Christ. The truth is that most Christians have never won anyone to Christ. They've never shared their faith or brought someone to the saving knowledge of Christ. And look, that's a failure. Because God has called us, Jesus has called us after salvation to reach people with the gospel. The one reason we're left on this earth is to fulfill the great commission of going out into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And I want to try to help at least our church family to make sure that you understand how to do it and that you would maybe be, uh, begin to do it and that you would decide to do it. I want to give you eight points this morning and I'm going to go through them quickly. It's like I said, it's a very practical type sermon. But I want to help you understand uh, some things, and where I'm going to spend most of the time uh, probably on point number one, and then we'll run through the others quickly. But I want to help you out with this. So for those of you that like to take notes, I encourage you to write these statements down. And when it comes to uh, principles of effective soul winning, point number one this morning is this. Have the right perspective. Have the right perspective. Understand what it is that we are trying to accomplish when we go out uh, soul winning. And here's a question. What is the goal when we're out soul winning? What is the goal when we're out soul winning? And, you know, this is what I'm about to share with you is not deep at all, but I want you to understand this is something that I uh, will have, this, con this is a conversation I have with people whenever I go soul winning with someone for the first time. I'm talking about a male, obviously I don't go soul winning with ladies, but when I go soul winning with a man for the first time, I always go over this idea of the perspective that we're trying. What is it that we're trying to accomplish when we're out soul winning? Now, you have your place there in Proverbs 11. Do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or your bulletin or something there in Proverbs. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But go up into the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 20. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to come back to Proverbs, so make sure you can get there. The question is this, what is it that we're trying to accomplish when we're out soul winning? It's funny because I, as a rule, I just, whenever I go soul winning with someone for the first time, I always go over this with them. And yesterday, I went soul winning for the first time with Brother Victor. And uh, so I told him, I'm going to go over this with you, but I'm actually going to cover this in my sermon. So um, hopefully he doesn't fall asleep or something, you know. It's good to hear it uh, a few times, I guess. But you know, what is our goal when we're out soul winning? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? Because you need to understand that our number one goal is obviously to win souls to Christ. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what we want to do. He that winneth souls is wise. That's what we want to do. But you know, what I've noticed with soul winners, and I, I remember uh, I even had somebody say this to me once, and it just, it broke my heart. Because I, somebody said to me, I went soul winning for three weeks, and nobody got saved, so I'm quitting soul winning. And I thought to myself, what in the world... You know, number one, you want soul winning for like three weeks. Good night. 
I mean, you know, you got to put a little more effort into it than, than just that. But what I realize is that some people just don't understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish out soul winning. And they don't realize that, look, our number one goal is to go out and preach the gospel and see somebody saved. That's what we'd love to do. But if you are an experienced soul winner and you're doing a good job, you know what you'll realize? You don't get people saved every week that you're out soul winning. Sometimes you go through times when you're not, when you're not, when you're not going to see people saved. But listen, when you're out there and no one gets saved, we're still doing a great work. We're accomplishing great things. You say, well, what, what is it that we're doing when we go out and nobody gets saved? Now look, the number one goal is to win souls. He that wins souls is wise. But that's not the only reason we're out there. The other reason that we're out there is because we'd like to win souls, we'd like to win some, but listen to me, we also want to warn everyone. We want to give everyone the opportunity to be saved. Are you there? See, we use the term soul winning from the book of Proverbs, but you know the Apostle Paul, who's probably the greatest soul winner that ever lived, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, the Apostle Paul, who's the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary, the greatest church planner, he used a different, uh, 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 a different uh, way of describing it. He did not call it soul winning, but you know what he called it a couple of times in Scripture? He called it soul warning. Are you there in Acts chapter 2? Look at verse number 31. Acts 2.31, the Bible says this, therefore watch, Acts chapter number 20, I'm sorry, I said Acts I don't know what I'm thinking. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 31. Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. Notice what the Bible says. Acts 20, uh, 20, 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, not three weeks, all right, three years, that by the space of three years, notice what he says, I cease not to, notice these words, warn everyone night and day with tears. See, here's what you need to understand. Salvation is not something that we get to force upon people. By the way, that's why we're against, you know, state-run religions. Because you cannot legislate the gospel. You cannot force people to be saved. People must choose to uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to me. So we go out, whether we get them saved or not, we don't have any control over that. All we can do is give them the opportunity. All we can do is give them the chance to hear the gospel. If they choose to believe it, praise God. Like we saw last week, some believed, some mocked, others said they had to hear it again. But look, our goal and really our number one goal, the one thing that we have control over is that we can attempt to warn everyone. We can attempt to go and make sure that no one lives in the Sacramento area, that no one lives in the Del Paso Heights area or the South North Natomas area, or the North Natomas area, or the uh, North Highlands area, or the West Sacramento area, or the Rio Linda area, or the South Sac area, or whatever other maps we have around here that we go out knocking doors, that no one lives in those areas without getting an opportunity to hear the gospel. Our job is to go out and to warn everyone night and day with tears. You're there in the book of Acts. Go, go to the book of 1 Corinthians. While you turn to 1 Corinthians, you got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Let me read for you from Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28 says this, Whom we preach, this is what Paul said, Whom we preach, warning every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. See, you go out soul winning and you knock doors for two hours and no one hears the gospel. No one gives you the opportunity. But you faithfully ask people, hey, listen, do you know for sure if you died today? Are you on your way to heaven? Uh, no, I don't know that. May I show you that from the Bible? No, I'm not interested. Look, you have done your duty when you gave them the opportunity. You gave them the warning. You told them you can know for sure. I'd love to show you how you can know for sure. May I show you if they don't accept it, if they don't allow it, that's not your problem. Our job is to go out and to just warn everyone. So you say, well, what are you doing when you're out soul winning? What is the perspective? Well, we're trying to win some. But we don't always get to win some. So you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to warn all. We want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to be saved. We want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to uh, hear the gospel. But there's another goal that we have when we're out soul winning. The other goal is that we're inviting people to church. And you know, here's what's interesting about inviting people to church. Now, that's not the number one goal. Now, here's where most IFBs have it backwards. Because their number one goal is to invite people to church, right? They go out and they put door hangers on, on doorknobs and they put flyers out. They don't ever confront anyone with anything. Okay, that's not what we want to do. We want to bring it to people. We want to say, hey, can we show you how you can know for sure? We want to warn everyone. But you know, when you're out knocking doors, I don't know about you, 
But I would say most doors probably don't even open. That's why I think it's silly when people are like, I can't believe that we're going to go back to North Natomas. Well, look, when, last time I knocked a map in North Natomas or South Natomas, not everybody opened the door. And our goal is to warn everyone, night and day, to make sure everyone has the opportunity. But here's the thing. When we go out soul winning and we put these invitations, let's say no one opens the door and we put an invitation on the door, guess what? A lot of people end up coming to church as a result of the invitation. And you say, well, what, what's so great about that? Well, what's great about that is that once they're in church, once they're in a spiritual context, you know that they are way more likely to get saved in church than just by you randomly knocking on their door? And I'm not talking about preaching the gospel from the pulpit. I'm talking about our soul winners go and politely ask our guests, hey, can, do you know for sure if you're on your way to heaven? Could I show you that? And here's the thing, someone who took the time to get up on Sunday, to get dressed on Sunday, to go be a visitor at a church somewhere, obviously they love, there's something that wants to know about God, and they're more, I'm not saying everybody that comes to, as a guest gets saved, but I'm telling you, they're way more likely to get saved, and we have a lot of people in our church that we didn't knock on their door, but, or, or we knocked on their door, but they didn't answer the door, but they got an invitation, or they got a postcard, and they ended up coming, and they got saved, or maybe they were already saved, and they just became faithful members of the church. So here's the thing. When you're out soul winning, you say, I went out soul winning, went for two hours, nobody opened the door. The fact that you handed out an invitation, you've accomplished something. Amen. Because, because what we have found, and this gets into more detail than I need to get into, but let me just say this. What we have found when we have tracked the invitations, that for about every thousand of these invitations that we put on doors, we can basically statistically count on the fact that there will be one visiting guest as a result. And you say a thousand invitations, that's a lot. It is a lot. But when you've got 73, 75, 77 soul winners out every week on Thursday and on Saturday and on Sunday, those numbers start adding up. And here's all I'm trying to help you understand. Don't get discouraged because you went out in North Thomas and nobody opened the door. Just realize that you're out there, you're handing out these invitations. And by the way, our invitations have the gospel presentation on them. Our invitations have, uh, it gives them the instructions to go watch the video on the Bible's Way to Heaven. If you Google the Bible's Way to Heaven from Verity Baptist Church, you're going to find a video that has thousands of views on it. I mean, I don't even know what the number is, but it's, it's tons and tons of views. And every, every week, it seems like, we're hearing about people saying, I got saved from the Bible's Way to Heaven. Look, you just don't know how things are going to work out. I mean, we've had people come to our church where we left an invitation on their door, on a door, and the individual got the, door, the invitation. They weren't interested. They put it on their counter. But then a different family member showed up and said, hey, what's this? And then they came to church, and they got saved, or they got baptized. So realize, you say, you know, when you're out there and no one gets saved, that's not a failure. Because our number one goal is to win people, and our number two goal is to warn everyone. But our third goal is to invite people to church, because when they come, they're very likely to get saved. And, and, you know, obviously our goal is not just to invite people to church, but there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. And in fact, Jesus, uh, there's a famous example of Lord Jesus Christ. I know you're in 1 Corinthians 3, but let me just read for you out of John chapter 1. John 1.38 says this, Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is uh, to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Look, in verse 39 of John 1.39, the Bible says this, He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. In the same chapter, in verse 45, the Bible says, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto them, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him. Notice, Jesus said to them, the disciples, come and see. Now Philip is saying to Nathanael, come and see. And I want you to understand that in the Gospels, the disciples actually started to follow before they got saved. I mean, when you read the Gospels, you start to realize, you listen to the statements that these guys are making, and you ask yourself, are these guys even saved? And here's the thing. We can't tell exactly when a lot of them got saved based on the, on the Scriptures. Obviously, we know they got saved. But I will tell you this. A lot of them started to follow. A lot of them started to, to, to listen to Jesus, to walk with Jesus, before they even got saved. And there's nothing wrong with someone coming to church, and they're not saved, but they're starting to listen, and they're starting to grow, and maybe they'll get saved a little down the road. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen. And make sure you, we don't you know, turn that into a bad thing, because that's what Jesus said. They said, hey, what are you up to? He said, just come and see. 
Come check it out. And by the way, that's why we'd like you to go out this week and take three of these invitations. Maybe you're not a soul winner. Maybe you're not ready to present the gospel. But you know, you can hand, hand this to someone and say, hey, you know, like you tonight, Verity Baptist, oh, what's this about? Well, just come and see. Just come check it out. You know, our goal is to invite people to church. There's another goal that we're trying to accomplish. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So what are our goals? We want to win some, and we want to warn all, and we want to invite people. Here's another goal that we're trying to accomplish when we're out soul winning. Our goal is simply to be obedient to God's word and to earn rewards as a result. Are you there in 1 Corinthians 3? Look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I don't have time to develop this. This is a famous passage about the judgment seat of Christ, of when the receiver, of when the uh, Christians will receive rewards for the things that they have done in their bodies. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul said this, I have planted, Apollos watered. Notice what he says. But God gave the increase. And look, I don't, there's nothing wrong with using the term, I got someone saved. Paul talked about saving some, and, and I talk, and you know, I, I think it's fine to use those terms. You know, we got so-and-so saved. How many did you have saved? But please understand this. At the end of the day, it is God that does the saving. Amen. You know, and here's the thing. It doesn't really matter where you come in in that process, because it is God that gave the increase. Verse 7. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered. Look, it doesn't matter what part you played in that role. If you were part of the work, the Bible says, but God giveth the increase. Notice 1 Corinthians 3.13. Every man's work. Do you see that word, work? Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's, what's it say? Work. Let's say that word together. Work. Let's say, that was weak. Let's say like you're at work, all right? Work of what sort it is. Now notice, every man's work, every man's work shall be made manifest, every man's work of what sort it is. Notice verse 14. If any man's, let's say it together, work, Abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Reward. Notice verse 15. If any man's, what's our word? Work shall be burned, means it didn't abide, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I want you to say something. According to the, the number one judgment seat of Christ passage in Scripture, what is it that you and I are going to receive rewards for in heaven? It's one word, work. And you say, well, you know, I thought salvation was by grace through faith. Yeah, you don't get saved by works, but you are rewarded based on your work. But here's what I want you to understand. Not only are we rewarded by our works, I want you to notice something. We're not rewarded by the results. Amen. Look, you don't get rewards in heaven based on how many people you quote unquote got saved. And if some of you understood this, you'd start, you know, you'd start coming back with such inflated numbers. I think people have this idea like, well, I got to get somebody saved to get rewards. I got to get them to pray. Hey, look, you don't get rewarded for getting anybody saved. It is God that giveth the increase. It is God that gets them saved. You say, what do I get rewarded for then? Your work. Right. See, here's what I believe. If I go out soul winning for three hours and I get two people saved, and if I go out for soul winning for three hours and I get nobody saved, but I faithfully attempted to present the gospel at every door, at every door I, I, I tried to ask the question, do you know for sure if you're on your way to heaven, can I show you? And maybe they didn't allow me to, but I did my job and I put in the work. You know what I believe? In heaven, I will receive the same amount of rewards. Amen. Because God does not reward you based on your results. He rewards you based on the work. He rewards you based on where you're out there being obedient. So don't get all caught up on, well, so-and-so got seven people saved. Look, when so-and-so gets seven people saved every time they go out, so-and-so is probably a terrible soul winner. Well, so-and-so gets people saved all the time. I've gone three weeks. You know, we read about last week in, in Acts 17 where Paul went out three Sabbath days and had nobody saved. What does that tell you about soul winning, about Paul's ability to reach people with the gospel? Went out three weeks, nobody got saved. Here's what I want you to say. We don't get rewarded based on our results. So don't worry about, I got to come back and say, I got four people saved. Just make sure you're out there doing the work. Amen. Make sure you're out there being consistent. Make sure you're out there being faithful. And look, as long as we're attempting to give the gospel, if nobody wants to hear it, then you just realize that you're going to get rewarded based on your works. But there's one more, there's one more uh, goal. Now, keep, you should have your place in Acts 
I'm not sure if you kept your place in Acts. Keep your place in Acts, but, but go, go back to, to Proverbs. Remember you had your place in Proverbs? Have your place in two different areas. I want you in Acts, and I want you in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs. Keep your place in Proverbs. But the next book after Proverbs, you got the book of Ecclesiastes. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and look at verse 9. So point number one is have the right perspective. Have the right perspective. Realize that we're not just out there to get people saved. Now that's the number one goal. But make sure you don't focus so much on that that you start being sloppy. Or you start, you know, not being thorough. Or you're just going out there and praying prayers with people and counting that as a salvation. Or even worse, not even praying a prayer with anybody and just coming back and counting it as a salvation. You know, and I've seen that before, and that's something that is not okay at all. So we talked about having the right perspective. But number two, let's talk about this, having a partner. Having a partner. See, another thing we're trying to accomplish when we're out soul winning is we're fellowshipping with other believers. Are you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? Look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Notice again, what do they have a reward for? Not the results, their labor. Look, I don't believe that I'm going to get to heaven and get rewarded based on how big this church got. I really don't believe that. You know what I believe I'm going to be rewarded in heaven? That I faithfully do the work that God has called me to do. Did I faithfully preach the Bible? Did I, I look, I, I think, I, you know, whether this church has, you know, 10 people in it or 500 people in it, I don't, because I'm not the one that does that. God does that. Doesn't the Bible say that it is God that builds? Doesn't Jesus say, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail again? It's God the one that builds. You say, what are you going to get rewarded for in heaven, Pastor? Did I do the work? Amen. Was I faithful to preach the Bible, the entire counsel of God? But the Bible tells us here two are better than one. And you know, when it comes to soul winning, we want to make sure that you have a partner. And I won't have you turn there, but in the Gospels, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, or the Bible says, and uh, by two and two. And you know, at Verity Baptist Church, when you show up to one of our soul winning times, you, you will have a soul winning, you, you'll show up to one of our soul winning meetings, you're going to have a soul winning captain that's going to lead that meeting, and that captain is going to partner you up with someone to go out soul winning. You say, why would they partner me up? Because two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. And I want to talk about that for a minute, this idea of getting partnered or being partnered. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, I don't know where you're at. I think I told you Acts. We were in 1 Corinthians. You should be able to find it. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14. Let's, start, let's talk about this idea about being a partner. Let me say this. If you've never gone soul winning, realize, you know, don't have this fear that, well, if I show up, they're going to expect me to start talking to people, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm shy. Look, if you show up, you know, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to partner you with someone who has some experience. They're going to do all the talking, and you're going to start by being the silent partner. So don't be afraid that oh, I'm going to show up and, and I don't know what to do. You don't need to know what to do. Because guess what you have to know to be the silent partner? Nothing. <laughs> you can just show up and be there. And learn and experience and, and see how it goes. And, and let me say this. Don't allow anybody to pressure you to talk when you're not ready. Okay, look. Be the silent partner as long as you feel you need to be. Uh, to be able to be ready and learn. And obviously, you know... If you've been a silent partner for 10 years, maybe it's time to start doing something. Maybe you can invite someone to church. But, you know, what I'm saying is don't, don't feel that pressure. Just come. You know, well, if I show hey, just come and see. Just come and check it out. Just come and see how it is. But let's talk about this idea of being a silent partner. You know, start by being a silent partner. What does it mean to be a silent partner? And when you go out as a silent partner, you know, don't feel pressured to talk. Don't feel pressured. Just go and just say, hey, I just want to see how this is. But let me say this. If you're going to be a silent partner, here's what you need to understand about being a silent partner. Here's the key word. Silent. Okay? Do not interrupt when you're the silent partner. Because this is what a lot of people do. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to be the silent partner. No problem. We'll put you with someone who knows what they're doing. And then they go out and they just constantly want to be interrupting. Putting in their two cents. Here, well, here's what I think. And here's what I look. If you're going to be a silent partner, then be silent. If you want to talk, then let's, let's then we'll put you as a talker. But you you need to be a silent partner. And here's the key word with being a silent partner is that you stay silent. First Corinthians 14. Look at verse 30. And you, if you say, Pastor Manage, you're talking about me because you know that I did that. Look, like half of you have done that. All right. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking
talking about all of you, all right? Everybody does that. They all do that when they're new. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14, 30. If any, if any thing be revealed to another that sitteth by... Now, let me give you some context. This is talking about a church service, but there's some principles here that can be applied to ministry in general. Here's what he's saying. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by... So you're sitting there listening, and something's revealed to you like, oh man, I just thought of this great verse. Notice what the Bible says. Let the first hold his peace. For ye, for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and that all may comfort it. And here the Bible is saying, we shouldn't be interrupting each other and talking over each other. If you've got something to say, then guess what? Hold your peace and then you will have your turn one by one. Notice verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. When you're a silent partner, we want to make sure that you remain Silent and that you don't interrupt. And look, we have found when we're out soul winning that people shut down. They shut down. When, when someone is confronting them and talking to them, they can do that. But when two people knock on their doors and both people are talking to them, and well, what about this verse? And what about that verse? And what about this? They shut down because now they feel like they're being, you know, like they're being, uh, like this group is coming after them. You know, so we want to make sure that you stay silent. If you're going to be a silent partner, be a silent partner as long as you need to. Uh, but let me say this, if you, if you go out soul winning, and I, and I realize this morning's sermon is very practical and very teachy, you know, like I said, the motivational sermon was last week, so you can, um, you know, look that up. But when you're out soul winning, and let's say you're out, you and your partner, and you're both speakers, you say, what do we do? Then you take turns, because notice what 1 Corinthians 14, 31 says, for ye may all prophesy one by one. So look, at one door, I'm the speaker, and my partner is the silent partner. At the next door or at the next conversation, maybe he'll be the speaker and then I'll be the silent partner. And you know, when I'm the silent partner, I'm the pastor of the church, but I don't interrupt. I just allow the individual to go through the gospel and do it. Look, we need to just have some rules of engagement. Things need to be done decently in order. This is the way it needs to go. Now, let me say this. Let's talk about just rules for interrupting. And, I, and you may be here you, while you're talking about this. Realize that like half of our church are soul winners, so this is very applicable to our church, all right? But, um, you know, when it comes to interrupting, because people get this idea like, well, I, I can't, you know, should I interrupt? Should I never interrupt? And let me just give you some ideas. And, and here's the problem. Just use some common sense. Because, you know, here's what I, when I first started teaching on this, I'm like, look, if you've got a soul winner that doesn't know what they're doing, they're preaching heresy at the door, they're leaving major parts of the gospel out, you know, hey, step in and help them out. And then you know what I had? I had a bunch of people just interrupting the other person at every door. I mean, they're interrupting me. I'm the pastor of the church. You know, I was out soul winning one time, and then this person interrupts me. This was years ago. This person's not here. But this person interrupts me, and they're like, you left out Acts 1630. Now look, I love Acts 1630. Acts 1630 is a great verse. But I'm like, So? Well, you got to teach him that it's believe. And I'm like, yeah, but were you listening when I was explaining John 3.16? Were you listening when I was explaining Romans 5.8? Were you listening when I was explaining Ephesians 2.8 and 9? Didn't I cover that it's believe and not works? They're like, yeah, you did. But you didn't do Acts 16.30. Look, don't interrupt someone because you think you've got your little verse and you think they've got to follow your practice. That's stupid. Obviously, Acts 16.30 is a great verse. All right? But that's not the only verse that teaches that salvation. I mean, have you ever read the book of John? There's like a hundred verses that explain that salvation is faith alone, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not of works. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when it comes to interrupting, let me just give you some ideas, okay? Number one, if you do not speak at the door and are a silent partner, do not interrupt for any reason. If you're not a soul winner that feels comfortable, then you should never interrupt for any reason. Number two, if your partner, if you and your partner both speak, take turns speaking at the door. Do not interrupt when it is your partner's turn to speak. Number three, if you are new to soul winning and you get stuck, you can invite your partner to take over. You know, if you're new at it, you're trying it out, and then they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, it's totally fine for you to say, hey, can you help me out with that? And allow your partner to take over. That's totally fine. You can invite someone to help you if you get stuck, if you don't know the answer. But here's the rule with that. If you invite your partner to take over the conversation, then you allow them to finish the conversation. You don't jump back in like, oh, yeah, thanks for that. And then you jump back in. All right? If you, if you get to the place where you just don't know what to say, you don't know how to answer the question, you don't understand the question, and you allow your partner, you, you just look at them. I always tell people when I'm out soul winning, when they're going to go soul winning for the first time, I just tell them, hey, if you're in trouble, just look at me. When you give me that look, I'll just step in. 
you know, I'll just step in and, and take over for you. So that's totally fine. Let me say this, though. Number four, if you're going to interrupt a soul winner, you need to be ready to defend why you interrupted them. Because I don't want to create this culture where we're just constantly interrupting people. You say, well, Pastor Menace, when is it okay to interrupt your, uh, a soul winning partner? Here's when it's okay. When they're preaching, preaching false doctrine or when they're leaving out major parts of the gospel. Like they just didn't cover the fact that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. Or they just didn't cover eternal security. You know, they didn't cover some major thing. Then if you step in and interrupt them, look, I'm not going to be mad at you as a pastor. If they come to me, they're like, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so interrupted me. You know, if you can defend it and say, yeah, I interrupted them because they were telling people you got to repent of your sins to be saved. Or because they totally just left out eternal security. Look, if you can, de- you need to be able to defend it. But, but please, when you interrupt people, it should be extremely rare. And, and this is never a reason to interrupt someone because you think you can do a better job. Because right. Right? you know what? And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Virtually every time I go soul winning with someone, I think I can do a better job. And you say, well, what? Hey, look, it's, it's my vain brain. It's your vain brain. It's our self-serving bias. We always look at other people and think we can do better than they can. Just let them do it. Let them go to the verses they're going to go to. If they're, doing a good, if they're, if they're not preaching heresy, don't interrupt. But if they're going to preach heresy or they're going to leave out to the point where they're going to pray with someone that's not really you know, giving a false, go ahead and interrupt them, but just be ready to defend that. Because I don't want to create this culture where people are constantly interrupting people or whatever. Let me say this about being a silent partner. Not only should you start by being a silent partner, but you should stay with your partner when you're out soul winning. And I, look, I realize that this is getting into a lot of very practical things. But there's a new, you know, it's funny because in our movement, you always see these fads come in. As a pastor, it's funny for me to watch because I've been soul winning for like 20 years now. But, I, you know, I've been pastoring a church in, in our type of churches for like seven years. And you see these fads come in. And here's the new fad that I've noticed. And I haven't really heard about it in our church, but I know it happens at other churches. And I've seen it happen when people from other churches come here. Where when you start giving the gospel to someone, then your soul winning partner just takes off and just leaves you. Look, you know, we partner you guys for a reason. And you need to just stay with your soul winning partner. And you say, well, why? Well, number one, for protection. There's a reason why we send you out together. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And look, when you're out soul winning, we want you to stay with your partner. And if we put two guys on one side of the street and two ladies on the other side of the street, you know, those guys need to make sure they stay close enough to those ladies to make sure that they're going to be okay. All right? Just, just a protection factor. But also, it's a pray. You know, you're, when you're the silent partner, you know what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be praying. As your partner is giving the gospel, you should be praying that the Holy Spirit leads them, that he gives them the verses he needs, that the person hearing the gospel gets, you know, is able to understand it. And, and look, everything I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm not just saying it. I'm telling you because it's things that happen, all right? When you're the silent partner and you're praying, don't pray audibly. Heavenly Father, please help this wicked sinner. I just don't think they're very bright. You know, it's like, and they're just not getting it. Look, don't do that, all right? That's weird. I literally have to be like, look at my partner and say, can you shut up? Can you pray in your head? You know, don't, you know, if you're going to pray, pray in your head, pray in your heart. Um, Don't pray audibly or do weird things. You know, and also as a partner, you can help minimize distractions. You know, sometimes as a partner, you know, the dog comes up and you can pet the dog and make sure that it's not a distraction or whatever. You know, sometimes a friend shows up and the friend's being all loud and obnoxious. You can start talking to the friend and kind of take him off to the side and help minimize distractions. Another thing that you can do as a partner is you can learn from your partner. Look, you can learn from anybody. And you can sit there and listen to them give the gospel and help them, you know, and learn from them. And they go to verses that maybe you don't go to. They use illustrations you don't use. So make sure you stay with your partner. So we talked about, number one, have the right perspective. Number two, have a partner. Number three, have a plan. Have a plan when you're out soul winning. Proverbs 24 and verse 21. You don't have to turn there unless you're there already in Proverbs. Proverbs 24, 27 says this. Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterward, build thine house. 
Here he's given a principle of if you're going to go build a house, before you get out in the field and start, you know, digging ditches, you know, prepare thy work without, you know, figure out a plan, what you're going to do, get that blueprint, and then go out and do the work. And when it comes to soul winning, it's the same thing. You ought to have a plan. You ought to have an idea of what it is that you're going to do when you're out there. And let me say this about having a plan. Don't reinvent the wheel. Learn from people that have experience already. People that have came up before you that are doing a good job with it, learn from them. And here's the point of having a plan is know where you're going, know where you're going when you're in a conversation. If they answer that door, what am I going to say? If they allow me to give them the gospel, where am I going to go? What verse am I going to go? How am I going to explain it? What's the next verse? Just have a plan. With that, let me say this. Number four, get prepared. Get prepared. Ezra 7.10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. The Bible says that Ezra had prepared his heart not only to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, but also to teach it. To teach in Israel. And if you're going to become a teacher of the Word of God, you need to get prepared to do that. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you haven't done it already... Our church has put on a soul winning seminar where we will walk you step by step from how to dress to how to, you know, bring a convert and have them baptized to church, how to present the gospel, how to knock on the door. I mean, we go through everything that you need to know. If you've never gone to soul winning, the soul winning seminar can help you get ready and prepared. We usually do this as a live event, we haven't done that in a while. We have one scheduled for the spring of next year. This fall is just too busy for us to be able to fit one in. But let me say this. We have it recorded on our website. If you go to veritybaptist.com, www.veritybaptist.com, on the right-hand side, you're going to find different links. There'll be a link that's called Soul Winning Training. If you click that link, it's going to take you to a page where there's 11 videos. There's one introductory video. It's like five minutes long. Then there's 10 videos that are lessons about how to give the gospel. The videos range from 10 minutes to 25 minutes. The longest is 25 minutes. The shortest, I think, is about 10 minutes. They're usually around 15 minutes. You don't have to sit there and watch a three-hour seminar. You can watch one video a night or whatever, two videos a night, and start getting trained. At the bottom of each of the videos, there is a link for a PDF. If you click on the link, a PDF will open up. You can print it out. It's the lesson it's a lesson plan with fill in the blanks. You can watch the video. You can go through the lesson plan. You can fill in the blanks. You can take the notes. You can get prepared and get ready. That seminar will explain to you if you don't have a plan, you know, the plan that we teach here at Verity Baptist Church, you know, what verses to go to and how to explain it and what to do. And listen to me. This, this it works. This seminar has trained hundreds of people, you know, here in, in, in our church and, and then outside of our church. I mean, I'm constantly having people... When I go out and preach at different churches, I'm constantly having people telling me, like, your soul winning seminar helped me out. Your soul winning seminar, you know, helped me to, to learn stuff. And it's interesting because, you know, Jesus said that a prophet is without honor, save in his own country. And I honestly, and I'm not trying to say this to just understand what I'm saying. I feel like I, more people watch the seminar outside of our church than they do in our church. And it's just this idea because, you know, because you guys see me every week. So you just think, like, I'm smarter than he is, you know. But, but look, just realize I didn't invent it. You know, I've been soul winning for like 20 years. My dad taught me to go soul winning. Our fundamental Baptists have been soul winning for years and years and years. Just, if you don't know what you're doing, just watch the seminar, learn from it, get a plan. And I would just encourage you, highlight and underline the verses in your Bible. Write yourself instructions in the margins of your Bible. Memorize the verses in your presentation. If you know you're going to go to certain verses, memorize those verses and just be ready. Here's what we're trying to avoid. We don't want you at the door just having these awkward, long pauses. Because you're just like, I don't know what to do next. You know, it's like, do you know for sure? You know, you, they memorize the, the, hi, we're coming from Verity Baptist Church. Can we give an invitation to church? Oh, great. Well, listen, more important than coming to church. Do you know for sure if you died today and you're on your way to heaven? No, you don't know? Well, the Bible says you can be 100% sure. Can I show you? You'd like me to show you? Now what do I do? You know, it's like, look, just know. Okay, when they, when they actually give you permission, just know. Okay, Romans 3.10, that's where I was going to go first. Have it highlighted. Have it underlined. Have it memorized. Right next to Romans 3.10. Right, Romans 3.23, that's where I want to go next. Have a plan where you know what you're doing, where you know what you're going, where you know that you can expound upon the gospel. Look, it's going to take time for you to learn, and you may need to have your partner step in and help you out, but have a plan and get prepared. 
Number five, go back to Proverbs 18. Proverbs chapter number 18. Look at verse 24. Proverbs chapter number 18. So we talked about have the right perspective and have a partner, have a plan. Get prepared. Here's point number five. Be pleasant. Be pleasant. Proverbs 18.24. We've seen this verse a lot. Let's look at it again. Proverbs 18.24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When you go out, you need to make sure you are being friendly and hospitable. You don't have to turn there. Romans 12.13 says, Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. The word hospitality means to be friendly uh, in reception and treatment of guests. And here's what you need to understand. When we go out in the community and we knock on people's doors, please understand this. We are uninvited guests. Nobody called and said, hey, can you come over to my house and give me the gospel? Now, if people call and ask for that, we're going to go. And, and, you know, and we've had people call where we set up appointments and stuff. But when we're out there knocking on doors, look, they didn't invite us. We're knocking on their door as uninvited guests. Make sure you're not out there being a jerk. Make sure you're not out there with this, just, this chip on your shoulder where you're just mad and angry. Make sure you are being friendly. Make sure you are smiling. Make sure you are being kind. Make sure you are being hospitable. Be friendly and, and show some friendliness. And look, even if people don't, they, they're rude to you, just make sure you're not being rude to them. Look, do not be confrontational. When people are being rude to you, do not be confrontational. Proverbs 15.1. Uh, look, look at it. You're there in Proverbs uh, 18. Look at Proverbs 51. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth... When, some, when you open the door and say, what do you want? You know what? A soft answer turneth away wrath. Just be, don't be confrontational when people are rude to you. And listen to me very carefully. Okay? Confrontations out soul winning should be rare. Look, do they happen? Absolutely. They happen. I get that. And look, you, you get in some big confrontation every once in a while, no one's going to be mad at you. But when it's just every week, just every week we're getting a phone call about you, you know, it's like, oh, so-and-so went out so many this week, I'm going to get a phone call. Look, that's a problem. Confrontations should be rare. If you are commonly having confrontations, listen to me very carefully, you are the problem. It is you. It is not them. It's not everybody in Sacramento has a bad attitude. No, you have the bad attitude. So just make sure you are being kind to people. Make sure you're out there with a good attitude. Make sure you realize, hey, I'm an uninvited guest. I want to share with you the gospel. Doesn't the word gospel mean good news? Amen. Shouldn't, shouldn't we be happy and say, hey, want to give you an invitation, Mary Baptist? Not interested. Well, God bless you. You know, whatever. Just be kind. Be uh, uh, nice to people. Don't be confrontational. And also, let me say this. Don't be condescending. Don't be confrontational. And don't be condescending to people. Don't treat people like they're dumb or you're smarter than they are. And, and here's the main places that I've seen this be a problem with soul winners. But, you know, be careful with the amount of questions that you're asking when you're out soul winning. Now, look, I'm all for confronting people, and I'm all for asking people questions. I try to engage people in conversation. I try not to allow it to be this, you know, 15-minute monologue where it's just me talking and they're listening. I try to get them to engage and talk with me and ask them questions. But be careful that, you know, they don't start feeling like you're just playing 20 questions with them, you know, or like you're just trying to catch them and and something uh, bad. And also be careful about how you word your questions. This is where the people skills comes in. Be careful about how you word your questions. And let me just give you an example. There's a difference between saying, do you know what this word means? Or, are you familiar with this word? Okay, sometimes just the way we word things. You know, do you know what the word wages means? And it's like, of course I know what the word wages means. What, you think I'm an idiot? You know, and I've seen that happen. Where people start getting in these fights. Where you can say, hey, are you familiar with the word wages? Well, you know, the word wages means it's, it's what we earn. The Bible says here that the wages for sin is death. What we earn as a result of our sin is death. Just be careful about how you, and, and by the way, let me say this. Some of you are like, ah, oh, this sermon's not for me. Some of this stuff will just help you in marriage. Amen. Some of this stuff will just help you at work. If you just quit being so confrontational and condescending all the time, like you've got it all figured out and you know everything, look, just sometimes it's just the way we word things might be better. And the way we say things to people might be better. So we said number uh, five, be pleasant. Number six, ask 
permission. Ask permission. When we are giving the gospel, the mode, the method that we teach people at Verity Baptist Church is to ask for permission. Now listen to me very carefully. I realize we have fundamental brethren out there who teach opposite than this, but I don't want to see this in our church. This idea where when they open the door, I just start preaching the gospel and they're going to have to call the cops for trespassing before I leave, okay? That, or I'm going to put my foot in their door and I'm not going to let them shut it. You know, they're trying to shut that door and I'm like, no, you know, the wages of sin is death. Okay, that's ridiculous. When we're just forcing people to hear us, they got to yell at us to get us off their porch. No, you ask for permission. Right. May I show you? No, I'm not interested. Then move on. Take no for an answer. Look, Jesus equated soul winning to fishing. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here's the thing about fishing. And I said this to many of our soldiers. When you go out fishing, I'm sure you'd love to catch every fish in that pond, wouldn't you? But you're not going to. Amen. You're not going to catch every single one. You're just looking for that right catch. And you know, when we're out soul winning, we're looking for the right catch. And here's the right catch. The person who's actually interested. Amen. When you say, hey, do you know for sure you died today on your way to heaven? No, you know, I've never thought about that. Well, the Bible says you can be 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. Do you mind if I show you? Sure, I'd, I'd like to know what the Bible says. Look, people will be interested. You'll find some. But sometimes you've got to go through 10 no's to get to that one yes. And make sure you don't you know, decide, well, I'm just going to give it to everybody. Look, ask for permission. Ask them, can I show you? Can I show you what the Bible says? We're looking for the right catch. And take no for an answer because, look, we don't want we, we to develop this reputation the way people see these Jehovah's Witnesses. When these Jehovah's Witnesses show up and it's like, oh man, I'm never, I'm not, it's going to be good. If I open a door to Jehovah's Witness, I'm going to be there for an hour. You know, because they're just not going to take no for an answer. Make sure we don't develop that reputation. want to make sure we have a reputation. When we go out, we're just looking, we're being kind, we're being pleasant, we're talking to people, we're asking permission, we're helping people out um, with, with the gospel. Number, uh, let's see, number seven, be productive. So we talked about being pleasant, ask permission. Here's number seven, be productive. Be productive. When you're out soul winning, we want you to be productive and to use your time wisely. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In the New Testament, you got all those T books. They're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse... Well, just go to 2 Timothy 2. Let me make some statements. You say, what do you mean by being productive? Okay, there's two, there's two extremes that we're trying to avoid. One extreme is the one, two, three, repeat after me. All right? That is what most IFBs are doing if they're doing anything, and that's what we want to avoid. The shallow five-minute presentation, and let's pray. I mean, I remember literally when I was a kid growing, growing up at a sewing church, I was a teenager. I remember going sewing with like this, this like 55-year-old man, and he was talking to someone, this guy was the, most wor- the worst soul winner I ever met. He was talking to someone, and he, you know, he's talking to them or whatever, and he's asking them questions, and the person's like telling them, like, no. He's like, you know, it's not of works. It's not something we earn. And the person's like, no, you have to earn it. You have to go to the confessional booth. And he's like, let's pray. And he prayed with them. And I, I was a teenager, and he was like 55 years old, so I didn't interrupt him. You know, I should have, probably. But I'm saying, like, we, look, we want to make sure we're not doing this shallow one, two, three, repeat after me, where it's just you're not taking the time to give the gospel, you're not, being, uh, you're not being thorough. But let me say this, not only do we want to avoid the shallow, you know, presentations, we also want to avoid these long, drawn-out presentations, okay? Longer is not always better. If you're like, I take three hours with my soul winner, that doesn't make you a better soul winner. I'm super thorough. We start at, you know, the Garden of Eden, and we end at the millennial reign. No. Longer is not always better. Because you will lose people's attention. Say, well, what's the rule when it comes to the amount of time that you take with people? Cover what needs to be covered for as long as it needs to be covered. Cover what needs to be covered for as long as it needs to be covered. Don't waste your time with things that don't matter. Don't waste your time with things that don't affect the gospel. Are you there in 2 Timothy 2? Look at verse 23. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. 
But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. When I was a kid growing up in the public school, they taught us there's no such thing as a stupid question. Turns out they're wrong. Because the Bible says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. There are some stupid questions that we shouldn't, answer, we shouldn't even talk about. They're just stupid. You know, questions that don't... Avoid foulish and unlearned questions. When you're out soul winning, look, when you're out soul winning, people are going to ask you also, what do you think about aliens? What do you think about Bigfoot? What do you think about, you know, whatever. I'm not, don't be rude to people. Just say, well, that's interesting. You know, let's talk about that later. But let me just finish what I was trying to say. Don't talk about things that don't matter. But let me say this also. Don't talk about stupid things that don't matter. But also, don't talk about good things that have nothing to do with the gospel. Because the other thing I've noticed is people want to go out soul winning, and they want to, like, turn their soul winning into, like, a 13-week discipleship program. Where they're talking about all sorts of great things, but they don't affect the gospel. Look, when you're out soul winning, you've got a limited amount of time to present the gospel to people. Just focus on the things that they need to know to get saved. I'll give you an example. This is something that uh, has become prevalent in our movement, where people want to explain to everybody how Jesus went to hell. Now look, Jesus went to hell. I don't know if you know that. The Bible teaches Jesus went to hell. But did you know that someone doesn't have to believe that Jesus went to hell in order to be saved? The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know what the Bible teaches? That the only thing that someone needs to believe to be saved is that Christ was dead, buried, and he resurrected. Amen. And I don't understand this. I'm going to spend 10 minutes explaining that Jesus went to hell. They, they, you don't need that. You don't need to go there. You know, in our movement, I've seen this happen. And this has gone away now. But I've seen this happen where people decided that at every soul presentation, they had to explain the reprobate doctrine. Romans 1. Let me explain to you how people become reprobates. And it was like part of their presentation. That's not needed. Amen. You know... Going into the story of Saul at every presentation and how he committed suicide. You don't need to do that. You say, well, what if it affects the gospel? Okay, here's the thing. I have gone to Romans 1 at a sewing presentation, but not at every door. But you know, when they bring it up to you, when they bring up to you like, well, what about a child molester? You think they can just, you know, do whatever and still be saved? Then you, then you may have to. But you know what I've noticed is usually when people bring up things like, child molesters, suicide, things like that, it's usually because they've dealt with that in their lives. Right. Most people are just not bringing that up. So you know what? If someone says, what about a child molester? And you're talking to someone that maybe was sexually abused? Then yeah, I, I show them, hey, you know what? The Bible teaches that people who commit unnatural sins are reprobates and they can't be forgiven. They won't be forgiven. They've been rejected. That's unnatural. That's what the Bible says in Romans 1. Amen. So I deal with it. But I don't just bring that up at every door with every... Now let me explain to you about child molesters. Okay? <laughs> That's weird. It's odd. And people tell me, like, well, it comes at, a, at, at every door. No, no, no. I've been sewing for 20 years. It comes up at every door because you bring it up at every door. Right. Okay? It doesn't just come up at every door. And like the suicide thing. You know, people constantly wanting to go and explain about Saul. Let me explain to you something about Saul. That is a very unclear passage in Scripture. I believe Saul was saved. I believe Saul committed suicide. I believe Saul is going to heaven. But you know what? About half of fundamental Baptists don't believe Saul was saved. And you want to just add that to every presentation. Look, if you're doing a good job at explaining eternal security, you know what that covers? Suicide. Amen. When you're explaining to people, once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to lose it, you know, that covers that too. And I'm not saying not to cover those things, but I'm saying be careful about going on these rabbit trails where every single presentation is an hour-long presentation. Because we don't want these two extremes. If every pre- Look, there's times where I go so many, I get somebody saved in 10 minutes. You say, why? Because they were ready. They were ready. I mean, someone obviously planted the seed. Someone obviously watered it, and I was able to come in. I go to other times, and it takes 30 minutes. Why? Because they're not ready. Because they have a lot of questions, and they need me to explain things. But you just want to be careful where it's not this thing where you're always taking an hour with people, or this thing where you're always taking five minutes with people. And then here's the other thing. If you are on those extremes, don't try to make other people feel bad. Oh, your presentation only took 15 minutes? Well, mine took an hour. So I must be better. No, you must be slower, you know, or maybe you, do you not have the verses memorized? What's wrong with you? Why can't you find the scripture? Here's what I'm saying. Avoid these. You say, well, what, what should we do? Cover what needs to be covered as long as it needs to be covered. Once they get it, move on. I don't spend 10 minutes explaining to people that they're a sinner. I, most people, you show them, hey, for all have sinned, they're like, yep. Then you move on. Okay, let me give you another example. Be, if people understand things, 
you don't have to beat a dead horse. You know, here's what I do. When I, when I get done with the gift illustration, it's not of works, you know, and I start explaining to them that salvation was purchased by Jesus, and I'm heading to, Rome, to John 3.16, Romans 5.8, John 3.16. Here's what I will usually do to people. As I'm turning there, I'll ask people like, hey, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story of Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about Jesus. Well, you know, the Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Have you ever heard that before? The Bible says that Jesus uh, was God in the flesh. The Bible says that Jesus never sinned. Have you ever heard those things before? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Look, if somebody tells me they believe that Jesus is, was born of a virgin, I'm not going to take him to three references showing them that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's just adding time to your presentation. If they already believe it, or if they believe that Jesus is God, you know, do you believe that Jesus is God? Yeah, yeah, I've, I knew Jesus is God. Well, I'm not going to take time to show them that. If they believe it, I'm just going to go to John 3.16 and explain the gospel to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, look, if I ask him, hey, do you know, have you ever heard that Jesus was born of a virgin? I've never heard that before. Then, yeah, I'm going to go to the passages. The Bible says that Jesus never sinned. I've never heard that before. Well, let me show you some verses about that. The Bible says Jesus was God in the flesh. Really? I didn't know that. I thought he was just a good man. I thought he was just a problem. Well, let me show you some verses about that. Sometimes you can just ask people questions, and if they already believe something, just, you can just move on on that one and not have this, you know, 55-minute presentation where you are just beating a dead horse. Here's another thing. Don't ask trick questions. Okay, when you are out soul winning, it's funny because Pastor Anderson and I had a conversation about this. Uh, he was preaching a sermon like this and he called me and we were talking about things and I, I, I brought out those notes recently and I was looking at them. But we're, we're, and we weren't saying anybody's names. We are just talking about like things he's seen, things I've seen. And you know, something that he'd noticed, something I've noticed, is that people are wanting to ask these trick questions. Where they're like, well, if, you know, after they've, after they've already explained to someone eternal security, and the person sold on it, they're like, yep, that's what I, then they're like, yeah, but if you commit adultery, you would lose it, right? And it's like, and they're trying to get, you know, it's like, look, don't, don't do that to people. Where like, you just taught them there's nothing they can do to lose it, now you're giving them a question that's worded to trick them. Well, I just want to make sure they got it. No, that's not, our goal is not to try to trick people, you know, or confuse them. Here's the other thing, though, don't ask leading questions either. Don't ask questions where you're giving them the answer in the question. You know, just ask them a question. And just let them answer and then see what they believe and then show them what the Bible says. But don't try to trick them in your questions and don't try to lead them in your questions. Here's another one for questions or for the presentation. Don't use extreme examples. This is one that I was talking to Pastor Anderson about. He told me that he's heard this. Where a guy explained eternal security to someone and then they're like, look, I'm saved. There's nothing I can do to lose my salvation, right? The person's like, yeah. And then they're like, what if I came back and killed your whole family in the middle of the night? <laughs> and it's like, what? Look, when you say that to people, they're going to leave bad reviews on our Facebook page. Okay, what if I just came back in the middle of the night and killed your whole family? Could I lose it? And they got this crazy look on their face. It's like, good night. Okay, look. Bible says you can't lose your salvation. Yeah, I believe that. You know, e even if you kill somebody, right? I mean, I don't think you'd ever do that, but even if you were to kill someone, or even if you robbed the bank, but when you're just like, if I just bashed your brain in with a bat, it's like, good night. You know, just be careful about these extreme examples where you're just trying to make a point. Look, just present the gospel to people. Just love people and help them out. Here's number eight. Have progress. Have progress. I've noticed with new soul winners, that they get puffed up with pride. Make sure you don't get to this place where you're just like, I got it all figured out. I got it all put together. No one's going to tell me. I've been saved for two years, and I'm going to start telling everybody how they've been doing it wrong. Okay, look, you can learn from everyone, and you should seek to improve. When I go soul winning, I go soul winning almost every time I go soul winning. I'm going so. I mean, as far as I know in this church, and, and if I'm leaving you out, I'm sorry, I'm just not thinking of you. The only person in this church that has gone soul winning longer than I have is my dad. I don't know there's anybody else in this church that's gone soul winning longer than that. And I'm not trying to hurt your feeling. I'm just saying, every time I go, virtually every time I go soul winning, I'm going soul winning someone who's done it less than I have. But you know what? Almost every time I go soul winning, I learn from someone. I'm like, oh, I like how they said that. Oh, that was a cool illustration. Oh, I like how they worded that. Look, you can learn from people. Be careful about getting to this place where like, I'm the expert. I know everything. You're not going to tell me anything. We should always, the Bible says, but grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. You know why it's worded that way? Because we have to grow in grace before we grow in knowledge. Because knowledge puffeth up. And when you just have all this knowledge, but you're not being graceful, it makes you this arrogant, condescending, confrontational person. So make sure you're growing in every area of your life. Make sure you're growing in soul winning. Make sure you're growing in your presentation. But make sure you're also growing in grace and realize that you can learn from anyone. You can seek to improve. We can all get better. And I, I just hope that this kind of helps you to realize when we're out there, we're not just throwing you the wolves. We want to give you instruction. We want to help you out. We want to train you. You know, make sure that you're out there. If you're a soul winner and you're doing a good job, you're being thorough. Maybe it's been a year or two since you've gone through a soul winning seminar. Maybe it'd be good for you to go through it again. Kind of remind you something. And if you haven't gone soul winning, that's why I encourage you, try it. Just try it. So what do I do? Just be silent. Just show up. We'll partner you with someone. Just watch someone who's experienced do it. Watch someone who knows what they're doing do it. And we can reach this community with the gospel of Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these principles and scripture. Lord, thank you for the fact that there's just people that have done soul winning for years, decades, People even before, people even before us. And um, we can learn from them. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to redo it. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us. I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you'd help us to be effective in soul winning. And Lord, if we have areas where we're just being, having extremes, where we're not doing it right, Lord, help us to just learn to be corrected and to be able to become better. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you would just increase the amount of soul winners this church has. That you would send forth labors that we might be able to see many people saved. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.